Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is Shelley Reed. She is the author of Go as a River, which is published by our friends at Spiegel and Grau. Shelley, welcome to the program. Hi, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here. It is an honor to have you here, Shelley. And first, um, before we dive into your story, I'm hoping you can tell me about the process of writing this novel. It has a bit of an unusual story. Sure. Well, um, the process for me uh, as a writer, uh, this novel really was a a long time in coming. I'm in my mid-50s. I'm publishing my debut novel, and um, there's a lot of reasons for that, um, that it took me quite a while to piece together this novel in just the right way. Um, Both, I think, for reasons um, inherent to the novel itself, and also just sort of my life as a human, as well as a writer. Um, I probably have worked on this book for at least 12 or more years. Um, But when I say that I wrote it for that long, um, really, as any writer understands, uh, life very much gets in the way. And for the vast majority of time when I was writing this book and envisioning it and feeling it and getting to know these characters, I was also um, very immersed in being a mom uh, to my two fabulous children and very immersed in being a professor um, to my wonderful university students at Western Colorado University in Gunnison. And, um, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. And um, the process of writing this book for me became in small snippets here and there, here and there. But I never stopped thinking about it. It was always on my mind, particularly when I was out in the wilderness, I'm sure, as we'll talk about. Um, And over time and during those years when I was thinking about this book, my life had many twists and turns and challenges. And it all came together to make for a much richer book and a much richer um, narrative that ended up informing what the book is about. And so the process was long, the process was disjunctive, um, but I eventually pieced it together and really figured out exactly what this book was about and what it was trying to say. And in the end, I'm actually so grateful for the process, as long as it was, because I think that it really enriched my life and enriched me as a writer, and it certainly enriched the book. Absolutely. Well, congratulations on finishing it. I know that uh, a long-term project like that takes an extraordinary amount of commitment. Um, Yeah, so good for you for sticking to it. Well, um, Shelley, my second question before we dive into the novel, I'm hoping you can tell us about your publisher, um, and I hope I'm not butchering their name, Spiegel and Grau. I suspect a lot of our listeners are unfamiliar with them. I remember when they came on the scene, uh, but who are they and how did you come to work with them and how has it been working with them? 
Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Well, I think I'd encourage your authors to Google them because I think that or to look them up so that uh, the full story can be told because they're uh, Cindy Spiegel and Julie Grau, two extraordinarily interesting women, icons in the publishing world. And um, I will briefly tell, you know, sort of what I know about their story, but really they're they're vastly interesting women who deserve more than than what I can say here. Um, Spiegel and Grau, uh, Julie and, and uh, Cindy and Julie were, as I understand it, with Penguin Random House for many, many, many years. Um, and um, were the founders of the of Riverhead books and um, published extraordinary titles, some great, great, great books as Riverhead. And then they founded their own imprint, I believe at Penguin Random House under Spiegel and Grau, also for, uh, published many amazing titles. And then not too long ago, I want to say just a couple years ago, they broke away to become an independent. And that is just so meaningful to me. Uh, they have all sorts of really fabulous reasons for wanting to uh, be an independent publisher. Uh, one of which I know that I feel working with them every day, and that was to take really good care of their authors and really be able to focus in and really support, especially a debut novelist like myself. Um, I felt just so incredibly supported and really, really grateful to be able to work with them at Spiegel and Grau. And boy, they're coming on strong. They may be a relatively new independent, but all of their ex decades of experience are really coming together to um, produce some absolutely fabulous books. And um, I, I will take this opportunity to also thank my um, my agent, uh, Sandra Bond, who's based in Denver. Um, the reason that I am so lucky to get to work with Julie and Cindy at at Spiegel and Grau is my agent um, was so dedicated to finding the right home for my novel, Go as a River. And um, she worked very hard at it. And in the end was able to put me in uh, the hands of the absolute best um, situation that I could have hoped for. So very grateful. For sure. Thank you, Shelly. And uh, we as an independent bookstore here at Explore Booksellers love supporting independent publishers. And as you mentioned, Spiegel and Grau are definitely coming on strong. Well, um, let's now dive into this novel, Go as a River. Uh, I want to first talk about how you describe the bottom of a lake at the beginning of your novel. You describe it as a world as silent and alien as the moon. Uh, can you talk more about this concept? Sure. So the setting of my novel is in the Gunnison Valley, where I've lived for uh, well over 30 years. Um, to me, the, it's the western slope of Colorado, for those of you who are not familiar. And um, to me, one of the most glorious places on the planet Earth, the Gunnison Valley, I love it deeply. Put down roots there decades and decades ago, and I very much feel like it's my homeland. My children are both named after mountains in the Gunnison Valley, and it's just very much my place. So the entire, most of the novel is set in the Gunnison Valley. In the Gunnison Valley is Blue Mesa Reservoir, which is the largest reservoir in Colorado. And under Blue Mesa Reservoir are three towns who, um, in order to create the reservoir in the 1960s, uh, those towns had to be evacuated and flooded. Um, the town of Viola is one of them, and it 
it features very prominently in my my book. And so the the um, the reference that 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 the line that you're referring to was part of my just actually many, many, many years, even since I was young, many years of imagining what, you know, those those towns at the bottom of Blue Mesa Reservoir, the towns at the bottom of a lake, um, really always had captured my imagination. And so I open the book with a, a preface where I try to describe what my imagination says is left of those towns marinating at the, at the bottom of a lake. And then the novel goes on to be very much about the ideas of place and displacement and sort of trying to imagine the lives of Iola and the other two towns um, where there were generations of of life there. And then previous to that, obviously, uh, uh, ancestral land of indigenous people, so much life was lived on those banks of the Gunnison River that are all now under the lake. And so that um, the opening that you're referring to just sort of tries to immerse the, the reader immediately in that um, in that world that had captured my imagination for so long. Right. And um, do you think many people think about things like what's on the bottom of a lake or the ocean or a river? I mean, the the earth is covered in what, you know, 70, 75 percent um, water. Uh, do you think many people are even thinking about that part of, of life on our planet? <laughs> I don't know. That's a wonderful question. I really I I don't know, because I you may be this way as well. And I, I think many people are and don't articulate it, but I certainly know that many writers are um, people who just think a lot about everything. And um, I've always just had this fundamental curiosity about so many things. And so, yes, for me, I think it, I, um, I've, I always wonder ab about the things that maybe someone else might just pass by. Um, so I guess I can't really answer that question for other people, but for me, I'm fascinated by so many aspects of the world, especially so many aspects of the natural world and of human history, um, that I think about these things all the time. And honestly, I could just could not get this idea of the towns at the bottom of, of, of the lake out of my mind. So I'm glad I finally got to actually write it out and include it in my book. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Shelley. Um, as you may or may not be aware, uh, I come from the South. I moved here from Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, the Southeastern United States. And one thing that folks take pride in there, uh, agriculturally speaking, is peaches. Um, your protagonist in the opening of your novel picks two baskets of peaches. And my question, uh, because I know we have a lot of listeners in uh, the Carolinas here, are there peaches in Colorado? Is this something that Colorado is known for? Yeah. Oh, I'm actually really grateful that you that you asked that question because it, my answer is a little bit layered. One, yes, there are absolutely peaches in Colorado. The western slope of Colorado is um, very famous for their peaches and um, very proud of their peaches. Um, I did quite a bit of research um, because I do have this uh, peach orchard in my novel that's been cared for generationally by my characters. 
And I am not a peach farmer. And so I actually had a lot to learn about peaches. I did a lot of research, very, very kind. Um, uh, peach farmers on the western slope of Colorado spoke with me and taught me a lot. But I know that the uh, Grand Valley around Grand Junction and um, Palisade, very famous for their peaches. And then part of my novel is set in the North Fork River Valley, which is, um, you know, Peonia and Olathe, or no, Peonia and Hotchkiss and that area. Uh, also amazing peaches. And what I've learned uh, that might be a little bit different from why the peaches from where you come from are also amazing. I think Colorado peaches are different because all summer long we have very warm days, but still very cool nights. And then as the season progresses, of course, it gets very cool in the evenings in Colorado in the fall and um, makes it very delicate to try to grow a peach between frost in the spring and cold nights in the fall. But it's those two, that combination of warm days and cold nights that creates that very, very sweet particular beautiful Colorado peach. Um, but I also want to say that I began uh, the story of the peach orchard in Iola, Colorado, um, in the Gunnison Valley. And I will admit that I took quite a bit of creative license in that way. The peaches and the peach trees become very symbolic and, and contribute thematically to the book. And I portray them as sort of miracle peaches from the beginning. But there's no one to my knowledge that actually had any peaches growing in Iola uh, back in the, uh, the early part of the 20th century. But it is part of the familiar story of my main character, Victoria Nash. Um, and so the readers will just have to to dig in there to see um, how I pulled that off. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Shelly. Um, I'm finding myself hungry all of a sudden. I don't know. Why. Um, <laughs> I've heard that feedback a lot from people when they read the book and they absolutely have to have a peach, which I love. I think that's really fun. Exactly. Well, listeners, we are going to take a short break here for a word from our sponsor. And then I will be right back with Shelley Reed. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Shelley Reed, author of Go as a River, which is published by our friends at Spiegel and Grau. And Shelley, uh, a quick follow-up question about your setting before we um, jump back in. Are you personally, do you live close to the uh, the Black Canyon of the Gunnison? Is that in your area? I do, yes. I, so I live in the upper end of the valley. Uh -huh. I, I live at 9,000 feet elevation. Mm -hmm. The Black Canyon is in the lower elevation and mm -hmm. it's you know fairly recently become a national park and is absolutely 
just a hidden gem. Um, you can't see the spect how spectacular the Black Canyon is from driving past it. You have to get into the park. Um, and so I think a lot of people just zoom right past it on Highway 50, but it is an extraordinary uh, national treasure. And I really hope that more people learn to love the Black Canyon. And it does uh, have a role in my novel as well. Um, but yes, I do live nearby. In fact, the the like I said, most of the novel is set in a landscape that I know very, very well because I spend a tremendous amount of my life out in the wilderness um, in the Gunnison Valley from top to bottom, uh, including the Black Canyon. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, that was a uh, a national park and I'm a huge supporter of national parks, but because it's relatively new, I was unfamiliar with it until I moved here. Um, but yeah, such an amazing area. Well, um, let's now dive back into this novel, uh, Shelley. When our uh, protagonist, uh, Victoria, when she is describing her mother, she says that her mother's affection only surfaced uh, within strict parameters governing her children with a grave fear of how they would perform on judgment day. Uh, can you tell us more about this concept in this relationship? Sure. Um, so Victoria Nash is the main character in my book, and she's a character that I have absolutely grown to love. I've been living with her for a long time, <laughs> as I mentioned in the long writing process of my book. So uh, I just know her so well, and I, I, I really love her. And so much of the book is about, um, it is about Victoria discovering who she is, becoming who she is through what she experiences. And when the novel opens, she's a teenager in 1948, and um, it, it opens, it immediately established that her mother has, um, has passed away. Her mother has died, leaving her... Um, trying to figure out how to become a young woman in a house full of men. And so the when I do include um, anything about Victoria and her relationship with her mother, um, it's in flashbacks, it's in retrospect. Um, but I include it quite a bit because um, part of what this novel is about is about family and it's about home and it's about where to turn when these are lost to us. And that is a very significant part of Victoria's journey. Um, her mother represents, I think, a woman of her time uh, in the 1930s and 1940s who tried to be exactly who she thought she was supposed to be. For her, that had a, a, a religious connection, but it also had just a properness um, that was stifling to her children. But I think it also was just a very genuine effort on her part as a woman of those that era to, to be who she thought she was supposed to be. Victoria also struggles with that. Who am I to be um, when I'm mostly being told by my culture who I must be. And I do think that that's a fundamental struggle for, for women um, throughout the ages. And that aspect of, of um, Victoria's journey features rather large in, in uh, um, how she ends up moving forward um, to discover her own strength and her own resilience eventually. Absolutely. Thank you, Shelley. And what do you think is the best way forward for parents uh excessive affection and demonstration of love or this reserved more disciplined uh parenting style oh gosh um that 
also is a wonderful question because I think, you know, as a, as a mom myself and, um, uh, we all must show up to parenthood with our whole heart and soul and our best of intention. But I am very aware that every family has potentially the approach that works best for them. Um, but I do think that it's all about balance. It's about um, helping your children discover who they are in and of themselves and then allowing them uh, the space to do so while also gently guiding them. Um, so I would never be as heavy handed of a mother as Victoria's mother in my book. Um, but I also do believe that um, her, Victoria's mother, as well as most parents, I think, try to do right by their children um, by passing on what they think is right. And then it, I think it becomes up to the children to decide how to pick and choose from that guidance of what actually works for them, take what works for them and go forward and leave what does not work for them behind, which can be difficult, I think, for parents to, to witness. But, um, you know, we ultimately have to let them fly free. Uh, Victoria's mother did not understand that, but she also really wasn't given a chance before um, she died. In the novel, Victoria's mother dies when Victoria is only 12 years old. So Victoria has to go forward without the benefit of the guidance of a mother. Absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Shelley. Victoria describes her farm as nothing special, just 47 acres. Um, can you describe this farm to me? 47 acres seems awfully big, uh, but maybe not in comparison to other farms. No, in the Western Slope of Colorado, the spaces are vast, um, vast, wide open spaces, beautiful, amazing spaces where you can drive for hours and not see a gas station or a human, lots of cows. And um, uh, so one of the things that defines the Nash family is a humility, a deep humility that I've witnessed in the ranchers and the farmers in my area. I also come I'm a, from, from people who worked the land. I am a fifth generation Coloradoan and um, my grandparents, my great, great grandparents, my great grandparents and my grandparents all were homesteaders, farmers, ranchers on the Eastern Plains of Colorado. Um, and so I, and then I am very familiar with the, the ranchers in the Gunnison Valley and on the Western Slope of Colorado. I think they're all extraordinary people who, who, who absolutely show up every single day and just do what needs to be done with the most, uh, a deepest level of humility and stoicism in a lot of ways. And um, so by Victoria describing her, her ranch as um, her farm as that, um, it indicates a little bit about the humility, even though they are raising these famous peaches on uh, Nash peaches on the Nash family farm, um, they carry forth as a family uh, with um, an ethic of you just put your head down and you work hard and you value the land um, and it is no cause for bragging rights. So I think the word just in that sentence is probably the most important in terms of building the character and building the understanding of the family, that they, like many farmers and ranchers on the Western Slope, are just very humble people who do what needs to be done. Yeah, thank you, Shelley. And you just um, reminded me of something about writing, like how... Um, 
intensively do you edit your own writing at the sentence level? Because as you just mentioned, this word just does so much work in that sentence. Um, Do you have an editor or are you someone who just kind of obsessively reads your own sentences over and over until you get them into the shape that you want them in? Oh, yes. I am far too obsessively edit on the sentence level. Uh, You know, as a professor and a a teacher of creative writing, I'm always encouraging my students to to quiet the self-editor in the mind, you know, just go, you know, write your story, quiet the self-editor, and then go back later and edit, um, especially on the sentence level. Um, I teach my students that because I really do think that's a good process. However, um, words matter so deeply to me. I've been, I was born, well, I don't know, I guess I should say I was born a word person, but I've been a word person since I was very, very, very young. Words matter so much to me. I love poetry. I read poetry when I have writer's block. It gets me moving again. I value the written word. I value the beauty of a sentence, the beauty of an image. And so, yes, I I way over edit on the sentence level as I write, which makes me a very slow writer. And I'm trying to um, remedy that a little bit and still value um, the the narrative on a sentence level, but maybe as a second pass as opposed to on the first. But yeah, my natural way that I write is to really write and rewrite and rewrite a sentence until I get it just right right. Um, and that really, really does matter to me. And, and some of the, the most moving um, praise that I've received um, for my novel, some of the praise that has really hit me most in the heart is, is when uh, people say that the writing itself, the, the language and the, the word choice itself um, has been moving to them or, or felt beautiful to them. And that actually means a lot to me because I really do work very hard at that. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Shelly. It shows. Um, Well, you said earlier uh, that a lot of what this book about is about is home, the concept of home, the concept of place. Um, One of the things that really sets this novel into motion early on is that Victoria meets a drifter named Wilson Moon. Uh, And Wilson Moon says to her, quote, One place is just about as good as another, ain't it? Uh, End quote. And Victoria disagrees uh, with this concept in this moment. Uh, Can you tell us about these clashing viewpoints, these differing concepts of home and place and what they tell us about your characters? Yes, yes. Thank you. Um, Thank you for uh, perceiving that because I, I very much wanted to set up Victoria and Wilson Moon um, a lot of uh, readers have have think of my book as a love story, and I and I think on some level it is. Um, Wilson Moon and Victoria meet on a street corner. I'm very interested in the idea of happenstance <laughs> and the way in which it can alter the course of our lives. Um, Victoria and, and Wilson meet on a street corner, and what ensues after that are all of the the, the joys and the the horrors or sorrows of forbidden love. Um, but I also think of Victoria more deeply. I think of Victoria and Wilson Moon as as two symbols of displacement. Um, 
as you said, Victoria is very, very rooted in place and generationally connected to the land, to that exact piece of land in Iola, Colorado. She really knows nothing else. She has not been out in the world at all. She knows nothing else. And her family life is not nurturing, where she finds all, pretty much all of her nurturing is in her orchard, in the land, in with the trees. And um, and then eventually, you know, in the in the novel, she ends up um, going off into the wilderness. She knows that landscape so deeply. She eventually becomes a victim of displacement from that land that she loves so much. Wilson Moon, um, you know, I just absolutely could not write a novel that delved into the themes of displacement in the American West and not include on whatever level I am able to write it, the indigenous experience. And so Wilson Moon for me is the character whose ancestral land was stolen from him so violently and so horrifically. I don't tell all of uh, Will's backstory. I don't know that it's my story to tell, but I did, I do um, have him in the novel through the lens of Victoria. And I have him in the novel very specifically to remind people that sure, the people of Viola were displaced to create Blue Mesa Reservoir, um, but the indigenous people were displaced previously. And the tragedy of that, um, the backstory on Will, which is alluded to here and there, is that obviously ancestrally his people were displaced to reservations in the Four Corners area. And then Wilson, Will himself was stolen from his family and placed in a boarding school, um, one of those horrific Indian, quote unquote, Indian boarding schools where kids were literally stolen from their families in order to try to, quote unquote, make them good white children. And that um, deeply injured generations of young um, indigenous um, children to where they disconnected and many of them, as I've read and research have disconnected from, they weren't necessarily um, indigenous enough to go back to their homeland with their people. They weren't white enough to fit into white culture. And this is throughout the 20th century um, that this was a struggle for very many. So his experience of displacement was to disconnect from the idea of place and say, you know, it's you know historically been so painful for his people that he comes up with that line that you just mentioned, that he tried to convince himself that one place was just as good as, as another. And that was his response to displacement. And then um, the novel is really about Victoria's response to displacement. And I just tried to dig into those complexities as best as I could. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Shelley. Well, finally, um, our time is running short, but I want to ask you about Uncle Ogden, uh, who early in the novel uh, sees Wilson carrying Victoria home after an accident with her drunken brother, uh, and the brothers chasing them both down, uh, Victoria and Wilson. Uncle Ogden is not concerned for Victoria and her injuries, but it seems like he just wants to be a witness to trouble, uh, wants to revel in it. And my question to you, Shelley, uh, using Uncle Ogden as an example, is what is it about the human condition that makes so many of us for drama instead of the safety and well-being of others. <laughs> oh, well, the character of Uncle Og in the novel, um, he's very much linked to um, uh, to the damage that war does um, 
I think the I think at the core my the core of my answer to your question is that the complexity of human experience often creates how we respond to the world. And my novel spans uh, opens in 1948. It it ends in 19 early 1970s. So I have to include um, the characters at the beginning of the book are coming off freshly from the World War II experience. Um, a character in the book later has to go to the Vietnam War. And so war as a bit of an underlying theme in terms of um, the complexity of how we become ourselves, how we um, experience the world, what forces are upon us that create the experiences that we would not have chosen. Uncle Og is that character in one of those characters in my book where he actually starts out a vibrant, happy young man and ends up a very um, damaged and, and sad individual. And I, I think that that perspective, like you were saying, at that moment, Og wanting trouble more than con being concerned for Victoria's well-being, Og was not always that way. Og became that way um, in response to these devastating circumstances of what he experienced in war. And, you know, a lot of the theme in my novel around Victoria is about this idea of how do we respond um, to tragedy in our lives? How do we become ourselves through those experiences? How do we dig down and find our strength and resilience? Victoria is able to do that. Uncle Og is not. And I think that informs the way that he sees the world. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Shelley, and thank you for writing this wonderful novel, which I'm sure we will be selling a ton of here at Explore Booksellers. Listeners, I've been speaking with Shelley Reed, author of Go as a River, which is published by our friends at Spiegel and Grau. Shelley, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, Jason, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And thanks for your wonderful bookshop. I love it with my whole heart. Once again, I would like to thank Shelley Reed for joining me. Copies of Go as a River can be purchased from www.explorebooksellers.com with free shipping for members of Explore More Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been 